Hi guys and welcome to the latest episode of the Rugby Collective Podcast. I'm here joined with James Seagrave once again. Uh, we preview and review the Gallagher Premiership. Um, been a pretty big turnaround in the in the top four battle. Really opened up over this last week. Um, been a lot of uh, moving around in the transfer sort of scene and also a little bit of discussion to go on with away stands, um, which will all be covered in today's episode. Uh, James, how are we? Uh, yeah, good. Uh- Feeling a bit more energetic than you sound by the sound of it, but yeah, ready to get into this week's fixtures. Yeah, obviously you had a game last night. How are you feeling? Legs still still on, still pumping? Oh, my whole my whole body's fucked. But uh that's this is yeah, is what it is. Good, good. Right. Top not four. Really, but... top, not really okay, but you're telling yourself not really. it's okay. For the for the meantime. No, absolutely fair enough. That absolutely fair enough. Um Top four battle. How close is this at the moment? The, the big game of the weekend was probably Wasps beating Gloucester at home. I don't think many would have predicted that. Um, really opens things back up. If Gloucester had won that, you probably would have said it was top four signed, sealed, delivered. Um, but maybe that's not the case now. Impressive wins from Northampton over Bristol too. Exeter putting a, a good shift in over Bath. Um, and Sarri's, of course, winning and, and Quinn's winning as well, who are pretty much out of that top four race now, aren't they, at the top of the league? Um, but, yeah, it's, it's all it's all go, isn't it? You, you reckon Sale are going to get it, do you? I don't know. Maybe. It, it, it could be, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, it's so difficult to tell because, yeah, like we were just speaking about this before, but like Gloucester got two games in hand on Sale, so it's like it looks like Sale are in a good position, but then... If Gloucester win both their games in hand, then uh, they're like 10 points ahead, effectively, with Sale effectively three games to go. So maybe not, but Sale have got more favourable um, fixtures, probably. But then you look at Northampton. I'm not sure exactly what their fixtures are, but Exeter don't have particularly nice fixtures, neither do Gloucester. So if, if Northampton have OK fixtures, you, you wouldn't bet against them. They, they look to be playing some all right rugby as of right now, so um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, that's the good thing, isn't it? It's too close to call, really. You, you're looking at it, and and week by week, it's changing. Um, and yeah, Wasps have brought themselves back in for that top eight, uh, top eight discussion, and really put a, a gap between them and like the the Bristol's and that below. Well, I think you you look at the the rest of the league, and and maybe a little bit too premature to be looking at this at the moment, but. You look at the the final round of the season, round twenty six. You look at the clubs that are in that in that conversation. You look at Exeter Chiefs. You look at um, uh, Northampton Saints, Gloucester, Sale, um, Northampton. They're probably your, your your teams in that mix, aren't they? Um, the fixtures on that final day. You've got Exeter versus Quinns, massive fixture. You've got Gloucester versus Sarries, another massive fixture. You've got Northampton versus Newcastle, probably back them to win that one. Then you've got Sale versus Bears. Again, on current form, you'd probably back them to win as well. And it really is such a topsy-turvy um, sort of battle at the moment. But that final day, if it comes down to the final day, it's going to be absolutely mental. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd think Northampton, looking at those results... Oh, fixture, sorry. Northampton would be... If it's tight going into the last game, a team needs a result. You'd probably say Northampton look the most likely to get to get a, a, a result there. The only thing that may 
stand Gloucester and Exeter in a good stead as if if the other two already um, cemented in their positions. So in a way, it would do both of the uh, it would do Exeter and Gloucester a bit of good if Saris and Quinns pulled away from each other because right now Quinns oh and Saris are kind of battling for for second or third. Although that uh, so that's that home home fixture, isn't it, in the semi final? So. Uh, they look like they're probably going to play each other, but um, yeah, having it out at home will be a massive advantage, obviously. Yeah, I think you make a good point now. Obviously, with the semi-finals being just one week after um, after that that final round, if if Saris and Harlequins are cemented in their spots with their playoff position secured, do you maybe rest your players there, not risk any more injuries going into that final game? Um, I don't yeah, know. What, I think. I think if you're Saris, you go for it. If you say Saris were third, I think Saris go for it. Where I think Quinns may be a bit more reluctant. I think Quinns might might look at it because I think the style they play, they don't really care where they play. They just play. They play how how they play. It doesn't really matter to them. So obviously, home advantage is is nice. But I think Quinns might might look at it as okay. We got third. Um, is what it is. But yeah, I think it going into the last week if. If it's possible to get second, either of them, I think both of them will try and, and, and get it. Absolutely. I think the conversation is always who's still in the race, who's in the running. After these last couple of rounds, who do you think is definitely out of the running now? For me, I think Irish and Wasps are pretty much fully out of this out of this race now. Um, I don't think they've got enough time, really, to get themselves back in the, the race. It's crazy to say that with the with the small amount of points difference. Maybe Wasps aren't too far away. If you count Sailor still in the race, you probably have to count Wasps still in there too. Um, but I can't see Irish or Wasps getting that, that top four spot now, can you? Um, no, I think Irish are done looking at looking at the fact they've played 21. Obviously, last game of the season, they're not playing that weekend. Um, and they're, what are they, they're, they're nine points behind now with... with uh, with only three games left. So even if they won all three of them, let's be honest, they're probably back extra to at least get one win. Um, so yeah, I, I'd probably say Irish. Maybe what? I think Wasps would have to win every game they've got left. So what is that? Four four games, 20... Even then, you're looking at four games, 20 points. That would put them on 72. So yeah, I think Wasps could potentially be in it. But they, they'd they have to win every game, probably with bonus points. And you look at their fixtures, they've got Sale, Irish away, Worcester at home. And, Leicester away too. And Leicester. So you, you'd highly doubt that they're going to win all of those, um, all of those with bonus points. So yeah, I'd probably say Wasps aren't in it anymore. And I'd, it's difficult because Gloucester look like they're not really in it. But if you add the... Say they've played 20 and have got 59 points because that looks is probably the most likely outcome of the Worcester cancelled fixture, then then they are right there. Um, but obviously, after a disappointing loss against Wasps, um, I feel like lots of Gloucester fans are kind of feel like they are out of it. Um, so I, I think Gloucester are still in it, but it's gonna, I think it is between the four sale Gloucester, Northampton, Exeter. And Sale maybe falling slightly behind, obviously, after that tough, tough loss against Saris. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And uh, we, yeah, we mention it all the time, but these games 
throughout the season, there is no easy games in this league at the moment. Um, and especially at this sort of stage, it's pretty crazy going for these points. I thought the biggest surprise for me, actually, at the weekend, apart from Wasps uh, taking apart that Gloucester side, I did not expect Harlequins to bounce back and win 41 points to 14 against London Irish. That was that was a crazy good performance and some of the best rugby I've probably seen Quinns play this season. Um, pretty remarkable considering these players have all been um, on international duty over the last however long. Um, and yeah, yeah, Irish Irish left about four tries out on the field, didn't they? Yeah, I am happy to talk about this game because it, it was such a good game to watch, especially the first half was really electric. Uh, it wasn't the biggest shock for me. I think I think that was the Newcastle result. I couldn't see that coming. But um, yeah, Quinn's Quinn's look like where Irish want to be. Like in that first fifteen or so minutes, Irish could have scored about two or three. They got to the outside loads of times and had effective three or three on ones or or wingers in massive massive space. And and they looked like they could really start to run away with it. They didn't, and then. Quinns came back at them, and Quinns, I think, first pretty much first three times they were in the 22, scored a try each time. And that's just the ruthlessness you have to have. And I think it shows where Irish want to be, because they kind of both play similar sort of attacking styles, a uh, mix of kicking, um, fast, pe- fast pace electric play with some strong forwards. Um, so I think Irish want to be where Quinns are, but I think it just shows the difference currently is that Quinn's there. And also, I think Irish were a bit hard done by with the fact uh, Hassel Collins had a try disallow, which the referee gave it as a try, and then the TMO overturned it because he said there was clear evidence that there was no downward pressure and separation from the replays I saw. Anyway, I, I don't think there was any clear evidence. Um, and and I think with the rule changes this season, for, for only have to be downward pressure, and it doesn't have to be controlled, I think he was very harsh to see that one scrubbed off. Yeah, I, I thought I was actually a little bit disheartened for for Hassel Collins. I think that might have got to his head a little bit in that game. Obviously, he's a fantastic player with with great physical attributes as well as a a pretty strong rugby knowledge on him as well. With the sort of the way he he holds his running positions himself across the field, um, I thought he was almost trying to look for work a little bit too much. Come sort of especially the last stages of that game. Um, I think. With, his problem was, I think he felt almost guilty for the try because he probably should have scored it. He wasn't at fault. I think Curtis Rona was the one that was at fault, really, because Rona gave the ball to Hassel Collins way too early. He didn't draw any men at all. And and because Rona gave the ball, it meant all of um, Harlequins' defence could just shift across onto Hassel Collins. And it meant he had to try and beat about three men going in the corner. Whereas if Rona has held those defenders, Colin Hazel Collins might have had one, like a one-on-one and into the corner, and he probably scores it. So so yeah, I, I think it was he kind of got hard done by there. No, I'd agree with that. I, I would agree with that. I just think, yeah, I, I think that must have just sat with him a bit too much because yeah, I think he he almost tried, you know, when you see a player that's just trying a little bit too hard and working, working too hard to create stuff almost, that it just doesn't. Yeah. It, well, it won't think, come off because of you, you're putting too much into it almost. Yeah, I think we spoke about that with Reece Summit uh, in the Six Nations, when against in the, especially in the Scotland game, after Darcy Graham had uh, beaten him, he tried to get involved too much. And sometimes it means, you, yeah, you're not in the correct position anymore. 
and and yeah once you try i think it's the same in pretty much any sport if you start trying too hard everything becomes a bit clunky and not as natural as if you just relax a bit and let it flow that's when you play your best rugby so yeah yeah i, I completely agree and with a player like that um yeah abs absolutely a player you want just to be effortlessly playing disappoint um, i was just gonna say disappointing a few weeks for london irish when you look at the results in the last few weeks 47 28 against Ira, uh, against Leicester, then 42 22 to Northampton at home, and then a 41 14 at home. So, it, when we, we were talking a few weeks back about Irish really challenging for the top four, and then you look at that and they've been battered three weeks in a row effectively, and two of those at home, that must be really, uh, really tough. It is. They've had a they've had quite a, an interesting second half to the season after a really strong first half. I'm just looking through a couple of their fixtures here. You've got uh, the loss to Gloucester, which is the 24-7 um, loss. I think that's the the most the least points Irish have been held to this season. And then they go the following week and put 50 points on Bristol away from home, which you're thinking they've bounced back. And then they go and put 32 points to claim a win against Saracens. And then, obviously, they draw against Sale, which at the time you probably would have expected to... Um, Irish to, to have a better go at. They batter Worcester. And then they're back to, as you say, then this horrible streak of Leicester loss um, and then two home defeats as well. It's tough. It is tough because... I think, I think that's what we've said about Irish, isn't it? Yes, they can score, but but they have too often where they concede too many points. You look at the last few weeks, 41, 42, 47. You can't be conceding 40-odd points a game and win it. So... And they're not even getting close in the last couple of weeks because the, the scoring's dried up. And we said that earlier on in the season that that you, they're, they're going to have to make sure that their defence is stronger because we were looking at it earlier in the season. They were winning a lot of games 33-27 or something like that. And we said, you can't you can't score 30 points a week. It's, it's not viable. And I think in some of these games we've seen, when they haven't quite scored the points they have, but they're still conceding, it just means you get absolutely smashed and it looks much worse than it is. Yeah, and I think that their sort of play style, we, I've said all season, they're probably one of the best all-round teams in, in sort of the style of play they've got. Um, I think sometimes they can be, I think it's around the ruck. If they can control the ruck speed and get them, if they're on the front foot around that ruck, then I, they tend to go on and play better. You look at Quinns in this match, absolutely dismantled them at the ruck. Every single every single ruck um, of Harlequin's ball, they were clearing it out and the ball was so fast and, and Irish just didn't have any chance to think about it, let alone rejig themselves and get into a defensive position. Um, so I think if you want to do a job on Irish, focus on controlling that breakdown and then you've probably got them just about locked up. Um, but we've got to remember that they, they, these are, these are a, a team that's building. Um and bringing yeah. themselves back up into this stage. If someone said to to Irish fans last season or the start of this season, oh, yeah, you're going to be in a top four battle right up until the last few rounds of the season, they probably would have absolutely slapped your hand off. Yeah, they would. And um, when you look at it, as I said at the start, it's kind of where they want to be. You look at Quinns a few seasons ago and they they were kind of where Irish are now, not weren't quite hitting the heights. And, and I think as well, when you put Marcus Smith, he does make a difference when you look at, and some of the players that Quinns have got, they, you do, they do have that 
better squad, but also more experienced squad who've all been in those positions before. So I think Irish, yeah, will go away from this and learn next season. Um, but yeah, it, it, as you said, is is it's good for them to have progressed from that yo-yo team which they were. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the main thing now is just backing it up next season and being back in that challenge again because that's that'll be the real show, wouldn't it? When you uh you come back next year and and show the same sort of grit and determination. Um, yeah. Away from that top four, Newcastle putting 45 points on Worcester at six ways. What a result that is. Yeah, I touched on it a minute ago, didn't I? And I said, couldn't see that coming. And I think, I, I, I mean, arguably not seeing Newcastle winning was, yeah, yeah, not seeing Newcastle win again this season was something we'd kind of said was looking fairly likely. To see Newcastle nearly put 50 points on a team that looks bloody nearly impossible. So, so yeah. Um, and when you look at the Worcester team they had out, it was you got had your Vandermeer. It's full your, noise, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you had your full your full whack there. So, um, yeah, credit to well, credit to Newcastle, and obviously Hooker George McGuigan's. We we've mentioned him on this podcast last last week. In fact, how um how good he's been recently. Just been awarded with Player of the Month. Uh, for the Premiership, which I think is thoroughly deserved because he just absolutely runs tries in for fun at the moment. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, I, literally just to echo what you said, we, we weren't sure if Newcastle were going to pick up a win and they go and put this this on a, on a building Worcester side. Um, and I think that may be why Worcester were prompted to announce a couple of signings just to try and get things a little bit more positive around six ways at the moment because... Well, it's got to be demoralising, hasn't it? When, when a team that struggles to score and and barely ever wins, especially a team which you look like you probably should finish above, and then they come and absolutely smash you in your own backyard. It's it's yeah. not good for morale, that. No, completely agree. And it is, yeah, it's killer, really, because this, this is the game that if you were to target a game to really get fans on side, it'd be a game like this where you've got all your internationals back. You're about to hit it full noise against a team like Newcastle, which, no offence, haven't been in a in a great run of form. Um, you'd expect to beat them, especially when you're in your home ground. And then you get dismantled and almost get 50 points put on you. So credit to Newcastle. I think the main thing is you've got to focus on praising Newcastle rather than discrediting Worcester on this one. Well, um, I'm just looking I'm just looking at the league and you can see it's blatant to see what Worcester's problem is. Worcester have conceded 688 points. Now the next highest is Bath on five hundred ninety six. After that, you're looking at five, like five hundred and fifty ish. So Newcastle conceded over nearly a hundred points more than anyone else, uh, and Newcastle compared have only conceded four hundred ninety one. So they've conceded two hundred odd more points, uh, just under two hundred more points than. That's you could see where their problems are. Like they're not they're just conceding way too much. And as we said. Against a, side, a Newcastle side who've only only scored themselves three hundred sixty four. If you think three hundred sixty four before this week, three hundred points, also it three hundred points in ninety games, nineteen games, sorry, and then fifty and one, pretty much. That's mad. Yeah, that is mental. That really is mental, actually. When you say it like that, um, credit to Newcastle though. Like on on a, yeah. on a serious note, what the the annoying thing for a lot of Newcastle fans, I, I'd imagine, is. We've seen yeah. them play really good stuff. Um, yeah. And 
yeah, you, you see them play good stuff through the start of the season. You look at last season when they had almost half a season of being up there at the top of the league. And now you, you have those those ruts of form where you just absolutely fall off. And then you come back again with a game like this. If they can find that consistency, then I'm sure they'd be be just fine, when, especially when relegation comes back, which is the, the main thing to be building towards, really. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Sale Sarri's game, if that's okay. Of course. Because it's very tight, very, very, not really a great game to watch from what I saw. I didn't see the whole thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a real spectacle. But, I mean, Sarri's got very lucky. It was, it was a very clear forward pass, which was given, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I really, I understand the, the momentum of running forward and throwing backwards that the ball's going to travel forward a little bit. But the thing that grated me with that one is he threw it a few lines, a few yards before the line and the yeah. ball took his first bounce about a yard and a half over the line. I mean, yeah. you have, you literally have lines with you <laughs> on the pitch to show you where the ball was thrown and where the ball was landed and you still deemed it to go backwards. I'm not too sure on that one. Um, yeah, and I think the, the TMO kind of made his decision and was like, yeah, that's fine, hands gone backwards. And then after he'd said that, you saw the one angle, which was like from the side kind of behind, where it went clearly over the line. But from, I don't understand why, if even if the TMO had gone from his original other points of view, gone, yeah, that looks backwards. He should have then gone, wait, hang on, I've just seen a new angle that has shown it's clearly gone forward, no try. Like, okay, you've got it wrong initially, fair enough, but don't be afraid, I don't think, to go back and go, actually, no, I've made a mistake there, right? Clearly from this angle goes forward, that shouldn't be given. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? You, You'd think so, that's that's the common sense thing. But as we know in rugby, there's not a lot of common sense. Um, I think the other one that I'd like to speak to on that, in that same game, the Vincent Cock and uh, I can't remember the other player actually charging into Fafter Clerk. What do you think of that one? I don't know because I haven't seen it. <laughs> you haven't seen it? No, uh, I haven't seen it. Well, I personally, I'll have to send it to you after the game, but for the listeners, I personally didn't see a lot in it. Um, essentially, Faf was running to clear the ball, kicks it away. Um, the, I forget the, the, it was a back chasing him down as well as Vincent Cock there as well. Um, and essentially they're, they're chasing down, they're committed to the, the the charge down really and then just as Faf kicks it there's a little bit of a collision which sends them all out into touch. A few accusations that Vincent Cock was deliberately pushing across and, and using his uh, experience there to land a bit of a cheap one on Faf. Um, yeah, for me not a lot in it but I think a lot of fans, specifically Sale fans, would have liked to see a yellow and, and some saying a red card so Interesting to see what you, your thoughts of that are once you've seen that, James. But yeah, certainly. Well, I think one. for me, these ones are always difficult because you look at them and in real time, they look fine. And then whenever you look at it with the TMO or all the replays, they show it in slow mo. And in slow mo, yeah, it looks really bad. It looks like he's had ages. But a man, especially like Vincent Cock, man barreling forward towards to try and charge down. He hasn't got time to suddenly stop. And he's not exactly the most agile player, is it? So it's not even like he can try and move out of the way. If he's coming through and is, is like kind of last second, then he's going to go through. It's not a lot he can do, really. 
And yes, he probably did use experience to land a bit of a cheap shot, but that's exactly what experience is for. And these players know what they can get away with. And you look at Fafta Klerk, he's one of the, well, I don't want to say dirtiest, but he plays to the ref all the time. You look at the little things he does around the pitch, always in the ref's ear. And it's just using your experience. If it's for your team, it's great. If it's against your team, it's it's one of those that you, you're not really a fan of. But I, I can't, it's just part of the game, isn't it? It's just it's just what it is. Yeah, that's it. And there's there's so much of it in the game. If you were to to stop and caution everything, you'd have no players left on the pitch by the end of it. So no, absolutely. It's, it's one of the things that, that happens in our game. And for me, yeah, there wasn't a lot in it. Um, but no, to, just to finish off on the Premiership side of things, very close. Um, I know our predictions change every single week, but if you had to to lock in a, an official answer for this this round, I'm sure it'll change for next round. But what do you reckon? What, top four? Yeah. Well, as we haven't really spoken about them yet, as the only team really we didn't speak about, but I'm going to go for Northampton, I think. They're looking good. Um, they're looking exciting this this they've got a bit more free flowing again which they kind of lost for a few weeks um you look at the last two games pretty much 40 points in both um and comfortably beating bristol this week so and you then you look at the games they've got bath which you'd probably suggest they'd win quinn's at home which would be a tricky one but again you wouldn't bet against them and then sarri's away which okay maybe a bit of a harder one and then newcastle at home and i think yeah as we said before that that last game really make really uh will be an interesting one and and if if all those teams need to get a result you back you northampton but i think it's interesting as well you look at the teams that these play, these teams the three teams that are, it's worked out which you probably say is exeter gloucester and and northampton all of them have got to play quins and sarries and northampton and gloucester have both got to play bath which i think is quite weird how they've all got to play pretty much the same teams um, and they're all so it really is whoever gets the results against these teams gets the uh, honours uh, top four yeah no absolutely I think that's what makes it difficult isn't it the fact they've all got to sort of play each other at the top I suppose what we could see is highly possible that the Exeter Northampton and Gloucester do a job on Saris and Quinns and they're all of a sudden Quinns and Saris at uh, debate in the or- conversation they all lose all these games and and my initial prediction of sale, because I will keep it on record that sale was my initial prediction a couple of weeks ago when we said it. Um, so if sale do get it, because they don't look likely, um, I want it kept on record. That, that was my prediction initially, but I'm going for Northampton. What about you? I think, to be honest, I think the same. I think if you look at the run of fixtures towards the end of the season, Northampton are probably the obvious shout now. Um, I My heart says Gloucester. It really does. But my head says... Definitely going to probably not be Gloucester. Um, I think as well, when you're a Gloucester fan, you um, naturally disappointments ingrained in us, uh, especially after the last few seasons. So, so you can't ever. I think Gloucester fans are the only team at home would be in about 15 points up at within the last 10 minutes who are still not comfortable, or still think, "Hey, yeah, we could, we still have time to mess this up here." So, no. yeah. It, exactly that. You look at the sale game at the start of the season when we were, we were what, 14 points up, 16 points up, and it came down to the last kick in like the 85th minute or something, where Sale had yeah. scored two tries at the death. Stuff like that, well, which you, really you, does mess with your, you with your mental. Wasn't it this weekend, you, Gloucester were on the uh, line, um, 
going for Wasps to try and win the game and then Wasps go at the other end to score more points. Um, Something like that. One thing I will say, and I've got to get this off my chest, because this has been great in, great in me since I went to Kingdom to watch the match. Um, I've watched it back since, and I agree with my on-field decision. Um, how uh, Carly hasn't given a penalty try for that last infringement at the the mall is honestly beyond me. I he he says that it's only a player in at the side, and he's not brought the um, the mall down. But if you watch that, the way Fafita flies in at the side and then immediately rips the back of that down, oh, I, I think that is especially because he'd already given a penalty try in the game, I think Wasps will consider themselves extremely lucky for that not to go down as a penalty try. But that's the game, I suppose, and you win some and you you lose some. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest because that has been living with me since last Saturday when I watched the game. Um, But no, Hart says Gloucester, Head says Northampton at this point. Um, Yeah, and I think that would definitely be a an interesting watch and again I'm sure that'll probably change when we do our next podcast or when we do our next premiership podcast anyway um yeah. right it's been a few changes to the rosters it's all or there will be from next season um I know we want to we want to look at this in terms of salary cap don't we really um I think so. because the obviously for those of you that don't know the salary caps come down to five million I believe it was seven million originally went down to six million and now it's coming down to five million um a lot of play a lot of teams are going to have to clear out because obviously if there's a salary cap you play to the salary cap and now that that the salary cap isn't as high as it would be you've then now got to shed down to to make a little bit more room for yourself um this week we've seen a couple of announcements sale have announced that faf de clerk and lou diaga uh, will be making way rumors that faf's going to japan and Lude's going back down to um, South Africa also. Um, so a big loss for them with two massive names in world rugby leaving them. Um, Northampton have come out on Thursday saying that Tuala, Ratuna Urawa, uh, Pierce Francis and Naya Voro will be leaving. Um, so, yeah, and, and many others. You look at Exeter having to, to shed a couple of names as well. Johnny Hill probably taking the forefront of those names. Um yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and you look at France and, and Ireland now, who are dominating these sort of European competitions usually. We're just not, English teams just aren't going to be able to compete, are they, with the way that the salary cap is changing? No. Um, and you look, and it's not even just in rugby, you look at any other sport in the world, the salary cap is going up with inflation, um, the NFL, whatever. And I understand it kind of needs to come down with COVID because even in the NFL, which is probably the biggest like franchise sport in the world, really, um, they came down, they brought it down for a season for, for COVID. I get that, but we're coming out of COVID now. So why are these restrictions still going down? Um, you look at the Irish and the French national teams and it's just that the level their players are playing week in, week out is getting better and stronger and you look at uh, and, and you look at how their uh, their national teams and their squads are playing. You look at Leinster, Connaught, um, Ulster, Munster. They're all classy, classy teams. You again with France, you've got Racing, Bordeaux, um, Toulouse, Toulon, Toulon, well, Clermont, Toulon. Clermont, Toulon are a bit shit. 
Um, <laughs> but most, and then you say, you look at England and realistically, who would even, like, against Leinster, say, which, or, or maybe Toulouse or Racing, who in the English league could actually put up a good performance, like win that game realistically? I think you're looking at Saris and Leicester and maybe Quinns. But even then... They're certainly think, not going into those games as favourites either, are they? No. I think Leinster would probably beat all of them fairly comfortably. Um, and you, and there's a few other teams. Even Munster. I think Munster, maybe Saris might be favourite because of their European pedigree over Munster. But I think Munster gives everyone else a really, really difficult game. So... And yeah, you look at France, no wonder all the players want to go there because the money they can get, they can get nearly twice the money they can get in England. So I don't get why it's coming down. Um, and yeah, and as we've seen, all the teams pretty much are shedding weight and they're not really bringing any names in, especially not these big um, foreign names in. Like you look at Faf de Klerk leaving, one of the big, probably the second best scrum half in the world, I think. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, you're not getting anybody of that quality coming in. I know, I know, um, Andre Pollard's coming in, but Leicester have had to lose George Ford for that, who is also world class. So it's not, it's 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 not exactly like many big names are coming over, are they? No, and and you look at Sale as a prime example. You look at the recruitment they've done. You've got Johnny Hill coming in. You've got Adrian McGinty, uh, not Adrian McGinty, George Ford coming in too. Big names to to add to your roster. But then you look at the names they've they've dropped. They've dropped Curtis Langdon, Lou Diaga, Fafter Clerk, and a whole a whole bunch of other names. I think they've lost about nine players. So um, yeah, one of the Dupree's brothers is off, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think yeah, the the South Africans are all sort of taken off now. Um, so it's yeah, it's an interesting. It's, well, it's just a little bit disappointing, isn't it? I think the only one good thing that may come from this is the use of academies and the, the more academies coming through. You look at quite a few academy boys coming through at the moment. Probably the most notable one would probably be Harry Arundel from uh, London Irish, who's sort of now coming into the London Irish fray. Um, that's probably the only positive I can see. One thing I will say is over the next couple of windows um, or seasons, just with, with players coming in, I expect what you'll probably see is more versatile players. So you won't now bring in... Uh, 12 and the 13 you'll bring in someone who can suitably play 12 and 13 for your system um you won't be seeing seeing specialist wingers come in anymore you'll see someone you can play wing but can also play fullback or maybe do a job at 13 as well um these utility type players are probably going to be worth their weight in gold soon purely yeah. because you, you need if you can't get that many players you're going to need players who can cover more than one position yeah, I think I've got two points as well. One, one being, um, you say about utility players, but you look at how it affected England and England tried pretty much, well, I think it was the first game of the Six Nations, you looked to their back line and pretty much every player, apart from Marcus Smith and, and Ben Youngs, was a utility back. None of them were really playing in their preferred position um, and all of them, uh, maybe Freddie Stewart, but all of them, and it's well, like... Well, even he played on the wing. Yeah, I meant the first week, but yeah, again, Freddie's true. But I mean, it, it, okay, these are utility players and they can play in a variety of positions, but does that mean that's where they are playing their best? And well, when you look at England's results and clearly the answer is no. Um, these players, okay, yes, they can play there, 
but can I play prop forward? Technically, yes. Am I going to be very good there? Absolutely not. So, and also I, I think as well, you want the draw of the premiership, you want it to be the best league in, in the world. You want it to be highly competitive and you want to see the best players in the world. So all these all these world-class players leave it. I know you've said, uh, we've heard rumours as well that Bristol might be losing a couple more of their big names. And you look at some of these players that are leaving and it's just, uh, if, if all these world-class players are leaving, other world-class players looking at it might go, oh, right, I'm not going to go there because all these players aren't, like, I want to be playing against world-class opposition every week and around surrounded by world-class teammates. If you're seeing all these world-class players leaving, there's no real draw and that makes it much harder to come into the Premiership again. I agree. And on, on that Bristol one, I think when you say the two best players or the two highest paid players, I don't think it's much... Um, it's not too surprising when you find out that Semi Radrada and Charles Piertal are two of the names that are potentially um, exiting the club. Again, nothing confirmed yet, just whispers that we're hearing around um, around the rumour mill um, that may, be, uh, may become to fruition by the start of next season. Obviously, the situation with Bristol is slightly different for those of you that haven't heard this before. Um, apparently, Bristol have had a bit of a mess up with the contracts um, and plus ones onto some of these two-year deals that they signed a couple of years back have been automatically renewed um, based on the, the terms and the, the type of contracts they are. Um, Bristol weren't planning on renewing all of these contracts, which now puts them over the cap or over at least where they want to be. So that means they're going to have to get rid of a few names that they don't want to before the season starts so they don't breach any salary cap rules before they even start the next season. Um, quite potentially, Rodrada and Piertal going, I don't think they've, they've hit the same form or, or uh, influence they've had over previous seasons. So it'd be interesting to see um, how that goes. But yeah, working to a 5 million salary cap, I just don't think it's going to be sustainable. And I don't think many clubs would be very surprised if we see that go back up again in a couple of seasons. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine that'll, that'll be the case. A um, couple of transfer ins as well. Uh, Italian international prop Zilocci um, joins London Irish um, got a few caps under his belt for the national side uh, looks to be quite a strong addition and a lot of Italians very excited to see him come over to, to London Irish so I think London Irish may have gained a couple more fans with that one um, and double moves for Worcester this week um, the Argentine prop Santiago Medrano is joined and also highly Highly rated and highly recommended um, Australian lock slash back rower Fergus Lee Warner um, is now joining Worcester from next season. Uh, one of the top tacklers in the in the Super Rugby and really hit a lot of form this year. So a lot of Worcester fans very excited to see that one happen. And that's probably the biggest name that's come into Worcester this this season. Um, yeah, I think. That may be one of the positives potentially of the salary cap is something like um, the guy you just mentioned, whose name's gone straight out of my head. Um, he isn't one of these massive names, particularly. He's not He's not even like your Will Skelton's or whatever, but he may come over and do a very, very good job for Worcester and he won't be breaking the bank or anything, but he's one of those where they might have had to go a bit 
further down because they can't afford these big where before they might have got Will Skelton, he's just an Australian lock that I can think of. Um, for example, and you just pluck him, you might have to try and find these little, um, slightly smaller players, um, in like fame almost. Fame's not the right word, but like as in rapport and and everyone wanting them. But they may actually come in and do a much a really solid job. And you look at Gloucester, I think Gloucester are the best example of this this season. If you look generally, I think me and you have spoken about this. If you look at squads on paper, Gloucester arguably have about the 10th best squad on paper. But because of the teamwork and the unity in that squad, they've been able to build uh, and play at a much higher level than um, than when they are, where they have been. And, and again, similarly to Bath, you look at Bath, Bath have one of the best squads probably on paper in the league. But they've been, well, they're bottom of the league. So it shows how it can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a very valid point. I think I think you've actually got probably three of the best teams in the league in the bottom half of the table. If you look at Wasps, Bristol and Bath, all three of those are absolute top draw sides on paper. But as you say, you've got to back it up with the performances and the game plan. Um, I think Worcester are doing a lot of good deals. Um, just to focus back on Worcester for a, for a split second, that Fergus Lee Warner plays in the second row, but can also play in the back row. Um, we've seen other deals like Langdon and Neil come in, which is great. We've seen this Madrano seems to be, I think he's got 30 odd caps at 25 years old for uh, the Pumas. So again, a lot of uh, a lot of quality that they need. I think what they're doing now is they've got these flashy players. They've got you, you doing Van der Merwe, shilcock has been in excellent form. Ollie Lawrence will come back into play next season. Hopefully we'll see a bit more of Owen Williams. Uh, Finn Smith's looking really good too. But what you've got with these players is you've got a bit of experience and a bit of quality to come in and will really tighten up that pack. And I think that's probably the key to a lot of um, a lot of new stuff going forward. Um, I don't think there's anything else for the rumour mill, you know. I can't think of any, um, any right, big... Um, I think he's going to Irish, you said, you think. Oh, yeah, apparently. Um, so we've, we've heard that Ratuni Arawa is leaving Northampton Saints. The rumour is that he's going across to London Irish. So, yeah, I think the 35-year-old would be quite a good addition to London Irish. Fits in with their experience pack type vibe. Um, pretty mobile around the pitch too, isn't he? So maybe he'd fit in with that sort of thing. So wonder if we'll see that one confirmed soon, especially now we've um, we've seen it confirmed by Saints that he will be departing the club. Um yeah, apparently as well, one to keep an eye on. Apparently there's going to be a young, promising fly half moving from Prem Club to Prem Club. I know me and you tried to have a little bit of a, a detective work around which one we think this might be. However, we've now realised that every Premiership club has a young and promising fly half. So yeah. narrowing that down is almost impossible. Yeah, we did start naming them, didn't we? And then we realised when you actually go through it, you look at the likes of Orlando Bailey, Manu Vunapola, and then and then you start going a bit deeper. And, and then most squads have a have a ten like your Finn Smiths and um, what's he called? Uh, the guy who plays for Wasps. Jacob No, not Jacob Munger. The other one. You, you... Atkinson. Atkinson. Yeah. You look at well, I mean, Umanga himself is hardly old, is he? Was he only 20, 22, 23? Um so you look at it and most of these squads have have young tens who are promising exciting so who knows who that could be and whether they'll go in and play first team rugby but um 
yeah it's, it's, it's a nice one i think anytime you sign a 10 as a club um especially Sorry. if you, you think they're going to step up towards the first team it's an exciting prospect to have in your squad because uh, they they control your play you look at quinn's and let's be honest, would Quinns be anywhere near they are without Marcus Smith? Probably not. No. Well, we saw that with the fallout. Um, Tommaso Allen is not a bad fly half at all. In fact, he's a very good one. However, when Tommaso Allen plays 10 rather than Marcus Smith, there is a huge drop-off. And I think that just, even if you look at them as individuals, the style of play that Smith brings to that team is just hugely beneficial to them um, in the way that they want to play. So... Yeah, uh, yeah, I completely agree. You fly half is the yeah. Maverick signing, isn't it? Little question here, and I just thought of it. Could Marcus Smith, by the end of his career, be the best rugby player ever, ever, like ever? No, because Antoine Dupont is already halfway there. No, but I'm being legit. Could Marcus Smith be the GOAT? He could be, because but genuinely, I think Dupont is going to be. And that's not even joking. Did you see his? Did you see his phase of play this weekend? Just gone when he picked up the ball. He carried about four blokes all the way to the try line. Got represented the ball. Two rucks later, gets up from the base of the ruck. Doesn't prig it up. Doesn't fall out into into space from the base of the ruck. Ruck. He sideways kicks it. Drops an inch perfect kick straight into his winger's hand. He just touches it down. He has got no room to. Genuinely, I think he could be. The best player of all time if he carries on. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe because he's a scrum half. It's is he though? It, he's superhuman, James. Yeah, but I'm I'm looking at Marcus Smith and I'm like, he's still like 22 now, uh, so he's still got at least 10, maybe 15 years if if he looks after his body left, and like you think how much he's already done, like he. I can't see him not be starting for England from now on, pretty much. And like points, point he should get the point you'd have thought be by the end of his England uh, Premiership career. He's top point scorer in that if he carries on because he scores more tries than most fly offs do. Um, yeah, if you look at that, he could surely... be. Yeah, he could definitely be in the conversation. Well, we'll have to revisit this in about 15 years' time and see where we are with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're still going with the pod in 15 years' time. Yeah, we'll have to revisit <laughs> and see where we are. Um, yeah, no, he definitely could be. He definitely could be. He's got all of the foundations to do it anyway, doesn't he? Um, so, yeah, it'd be an interesting one to keep an eye on because I better think he's... Better than him? Johnny. Dragon. I think his skill set is better because if you look at... His James. Johnny Wilkinson was never the most mobile, was he? I don't know. He weren't bad. Yeah. He, he weren't pulling out goosies left, right, and centre like That's Smith. That's what I mean. He, he wasn't quite as far. He didn't have that like speed and the goose step that I think that's what takes Marcus Smith away, isn't it? He's got that killer ability that he can, yes, he can create them, but also he can score, which I think makes him so dangerous. Yeah, but you flip that on its head then. Um, you look at Johnny Wilkinson's physical side and his, his dominant tackling, surely that puts him ahead of Marcus Smith as an all-round tear? I don't know, because Johnny Wilkinson got injured a lot in his career. Like, it's not documented as much, because obviously obviously 2003 and everything like that, but he did spend a lot of time injured, Johnny Wilkinson. 
where I think if you're looking at a dominant tackle 10, there's never been anyone bigger than Owen Farrell. Well, true. I'm sure there probably is someone who we're absolutely missing. Oh, yeah, but, somebody. Um, one that tackles legally might be a good way to a good way to start. Um, oh, whoa, <laughs> moving whoa, on before the Saris fans all come for me. Um, I know, no, I know, I know. Um, one more thing <laughs> we want to cover before we look at the predictions. Um, and we'll keep this this short because this has been a big debate, which I've been debating with several fans, mainly Worcester fans, over social medias today. Um, away stands. Going to the rugby, away fans allocated a set number of seats and a set stand in the stadium. Um, thoughts? I hate it. Like yeah. the whole, the, you get banter at the rugby, it's great. Everyone's mixed in. Um, it, it just, you get a real buzz. It's all very friendly. Like it's banter, but it's all very friendly. Like I've gone to so many Gloucester games and I, I can't really ever remember ever seeing a fight, let alone it get even bad tempered, really. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just everything that uh, belongs to rugby. Also things like the shed, for instance, is, is probably one of the most famous stands in, in English rugby. Imagine you're, you're in a way fed, a way, uh, a support. You never get to go and stand in the shed where let's, is, is all the best atmosphere and everything. And yeah, I, I just don't like it really. No, I completely agree with you. I'm 100% with you there. Um, I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, there's been some debate about allocating an away stand, but then saying fans can stand wherever they want. But I think then the amount of fans you'll get standing wherever they want would be so limited then because almost everyone would be pushed towards the away allocated area that it's just not going to happen. So for me, I think rugby needs a rebrand with the way it carries itself. But I think taking away one of its biggest assets in the style of, of supporting, I think is definitely not the way to go. So that is a big rugby collective no on this one, I think. And as, as Nigel Owens famously said, this is not soccer. True. So, yeah, Very true. you don't need it. Well, Nigel says no, so there we go. It's, it's no. Yeah, I don't like it anyway. Um, so, yeah, there, there we go. It'd be interesting to see where that one goes. I think it is being trialled a little bit going forward. Um so we will see how we get on with that one. But it's a no from me. Um, before we leave you, it's European week, James. Are you excited? Uh, yeah, woo, European. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. Oh, I like it. Shall I tell you why I like it so much? Because my missus is making a cake this weekend, so she is going to be absolutely out of my way because every time I try and help I just end up making things ten times worse so I set this... up the way what was that? how big is this cake? you start making it Friday night and does it finish till Sunday Sunday midday? oh no Sunday... I'll have to get a pass for Friday night I will have to get a pass I'll have to sneak that one in somehow but I'm sure we'll find a way but this no she's very serious about this cake so it's going to be a big um, it's going to be a big effort Saturday which means I need to stay out of the way otherwise I'll get shouted at um which is great because I can just watch Champions Cup all the way through um, and watch all of my predictions come true. Um, Friday night, Connor versus Le Leicester. Uh, not Leicester, Leinster. What do you reckon? Bit of an Irish tie in Galway. Yeah, well, I first want to say, just before we start, these are all played over two legs, which I find really bizarre. Um, I don't know why, but 
I don't. Apart from the championship playoff game, I've never seen rugby played over two legs like this. So I'm assuming it's just score over the two legs, um, which is a weird format, I think. But there you go. Um, and I'm going to go for Leinster because I think Leinster are probably the best European team. Let's be honest. No, I'd agree. I'd also go for Leinster there, um, even though they're away. Connor look like a very good side at the moment but Leinster will be the, the team for me. And I will also say, before we carry on, we are very much not, we do not watch every single game of these French, Irish, Scottish, Welsh games. So We watch very few, to be fair. Yeah, so if we get anything horrendously wrong, don't, don't blame us too much. This is just a bit of fun. Um, Bordeaux versus Stade Rochard. Um... I'm going to see a bit go... of Rona Ogara scrapping on the touchline again. Yeah, I'm going to go Bordeaux because I like Bordeaux. They play some really nice rugby. Got some good players in there, what Wokey and, and, and Jalibert, among others. So I'm going to go for Bordeaux at home. I'll go for La Rochelle just for the sake of difference. I quite like La Rochelle with the, the physical nature of them. Um, so, yeah, I'll go for La Rochelle, change it up a bit. Uh, one that will be more familiar to us, Sale versus Bristol at uh, the AJ Bell. What do you reckon? I'll, I'll tell you sale. what. Oh, Sale. I was cutting you off there. You're going Sale. No, yeah, I'm going Sale. I'm going Sale. What are you going to say? These games are boring, aren't they? It's just an all-Irish game, an all-French game, an all-English game. What's, these are no fun European games. You might as well just play the normal leagues. Like, what's going on? Um, James, spoiler alert. It gets better. Trust me. Okay. Okay, okay. Keep your hat on for these next couple, mega gets better. That's it. I'm just looking down. Um, uh, I'll go for sale. Yeah, they've been better. Well, <laughs> You're no, not supposed not... to look. This is supposed to be a bloody... Oh, cheater. No wonder you get yeah. good results. You'd be studying before I actually ask you the question. I'll go for sale. They're better at this moment in time than Bristol, especially at home. Cool. Absolutely no problem. Um, Toulouse versus Ulster. At Toulouse. Ooh! Something excited. <laughs> was that, is that exciting? Yeah, that's a bit excited. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go for Toulouse because they are Toulouse and Fair. Dupont and Untermack and that. But Ulster are really good to watch. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go for Toulouse, especially at home. Yeah, I'm going to back you on that one. I'm going to go Toulouse as well. Um, Exeter versus Munster at Sandy Park. I always like it when Munster play away, especially when they come to Gloucester, because there's always a hell of an atmosphere. Um, I'm going to go for Munster because they're playing really, they they play really good rugby. Um, yeah, that's the end of my sentence. Fair enough. No, absolutely fair enough. Um, I'm going to go for Exeter. I think Sandy Park is a pretty tough place to go, and I think Exeter will be properly up for Europe this year. So, yeah, be an interesting one that one. Um, gets a bit boring again now, James. I'm afraid. Uh, no. Stade Francais versus Racing 92. I'll go first with Racing, I believe. Yeah, probably back that. I mean, did you see so, that? I can't really put it up. So I saw someone on Instagram, and it was like, Oh, um, what's their tangle? Russell back to his best, and a compilation, a comp, comp, how'd you say it? Compilation, compilation, this one out on yourself, <laughs> yeah, compilation of his, uh, of all loads of stuff Finn Russell did. He was like an intercept and some other things. And then there was one kick where he stepped the guy, kicked it, but he absolutely shanked the kick into the middle of nowhere. It was a a pretty shit kick. And I was like, you're going to make a really good compilation. Don't put a a shanked kick. Okay, he stepped him and then kicked it. But 
don't don't put a nasty little kick in. Uh, and everyone in the comments was letting them know as well. Uh, but yes, I'm going to go for Raston. They're the better team. No, I'd agree. I would definitely agree. Um, and then Sunday, Montpellier versus Harlequins in Montpellier. I think Queens will have too much for them. But that's because I don't know that much about Montpellier. And Montpellier are good, but I think Queens are just that bit stronger. Well, if it makes any odds on your prediction, apparently um, Andre Pollard is fit again for this game. So he's set to be starting, apparently. So it'd be interesting to see if he does start or if Garbisi starts at 10. I don't care. Um, better than both of them, so. Wow. Huge statement there. Probably not wrong, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. OK, I'm, I'll go Montpellier. Just because why not? Just for a bit of a, a change. And then probably the biggest fixture of the weekend, I'd say, um, Claremont versus Leicester. Mm-hmm. In Claremont. I'm going to... If I backed British teams... Oh, no, I haven't, because I didn't back Leicester. I'm going to go Leicester, because they don't know how to lose, basically. True. No, fair. Absolutely fair enough. I'm going to go Claremont, just because I like Claremont. So we'll go... <laughs> We'll go with that. Um, but no, I, I tell you one thing before we go. What, what really bugs me about these Champions Cup uh, fixtures is they put an hour between the games. And when you want to watch a game, but you're already an hour invested into another game, you then miss the first 20-odd minutes of the second game. And then you're 20 well, minutes out of whack for the whole day. And I just, well, I'm just i not happy about half, that. you miss the don't you? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very happy with that. Well, yeah, the, the, and the games are at weird times. One, two, quarter past four, half past five, half past six. What was that about? Yeah, that's not nice. But there we go. I suppose I'll have to take my laptop as well and make a little bit of a sports station um, out of my girlfriend's flat. So I think that's what we're going to gonna have to do for the weekend. But I will definitely be enjoying this rugby. Um, let us know what you think about our wastelands. We've had a lot of passionate um, responses either way already. Um, so yeah let us know Um, and yeah enjoy the rugby this weekend and we'll catch you for the next one bye bye bye